Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Well, as Fred mentioned, uh, Matt's under the weather. I talked to him Friday, and he didn't sound good. And I said, well, how about I cover for you? And, and he said, sure. Then I got off the phone, and I thought, OK, I got, got 24 hours, maybe 36. So. Um, I tried, to, I tried to come up with a message that uh, would segue into where we are in our study of Matthew. And uh, I want to share that with you. But before we get started, why don't we bow our heads and pray? So, Lord God, just uh, thank you so much for uh, an opportunity to study your word in your presence. Thank you for this safe place to meet, to speak openly about you and your word and our role in it. Lord, I would just pray that you would... Um, heal up Pastor Matt. He's not feeling well. And Lord, the reality is there's a lot of illness going around today. It takes a toll. And we just pray for your healing touch on those folks as well. Pray that you would bless this message in your name. Amen. Okay. Well, thank you. And Clayton, thank you for doing the sound. And Matt, thank you for doing the slides. Appreciate that. So, okay. Well, last week, uh, we dipped our collective toes into Matthew chapter 10. And uh, this is where we see Jesus call his 12 disciples to become apostles. As Jesus stated at the end of chapter nine, he, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The apostles had followed, observed and listened to Jesus. They'd heard his sermon on the Mount and they had watched him establish his authority through multiple and powerful miracles of healing and resurrection. Their initial training was complete, but they were now ready for their first collective assignment. So this is where Matt left off last week. Uh, he's going to give some instruction to those apostles and send them out. Um, through his sermon on the Mount, which we studied in uh, Matthew chapter five, chapter six and chapter seven, Jesus was turning everything upside down. He took murder and adultery and refocused on anger and lust. He redefined marriage and subsequently divorce back to God's original design and intention. He took oaths and refocused on being a person of your word. And he told us how to win over an enemy by forgiveness and generosity. He told us to love our enemies. He told us to be anonymous with charity, pray and fast humbly avoid the temptation of material things and money as master. He told us not to worry, to avoid hypocrisy and to practice discernment rather than judgment to treat others as we want to be treated and the importance of true fruit and how to build a house on a rock. Jesus had shifted the focus from the external to the internal this was a massive change for the listeners of his day. And then in chapters eight and nine, Jesus turned sickness, demonic influence, and even death upside down. He engages Gentiles, arrogant teachers of the law, tax collectors, and other sinners. Social norms of uh, segregation and rank had no place in his kingdom. This new teaching was completely counter to the habits and practices, social mores and laws of Jesus's day. Back in chapter three, we saw John the Baptist, who was a relative of Jesus, had started to pave the way for Jesus with a message of repentance 
And he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. John called John the Baptist called the Pharisees and Sadducees a brood of vipers and called them to repentance. And he told them that their lineage, their practices and positions won't save them. They can point to their ancestor, Abraham, all they want without true fruit that flows from repentance. They were doomed. Jewish culture in Jesus's day was very complex. It was fractured and it was divided. It reflected compounding and often self-inflicted wounds from long into Israel's past. It was the, into this hot mess that the apostles were going to be sent. Next week, Matt's going to pick up where he left off before sending the apostles out to spread the gospel. Jesus is going to give them detailed instructions, coaching and warnings. Jesus knows the heart of the Jewish nation and what the apostles will face as they spread his message of repentance, renewal and unity, all things that are representative of his kingdom. In Matthew uh, 10 verse five, Jesus tells the 12 apostles that they're going to go out to the lost sheep of Israel. At this point, they're not going to have to face the complexities and challenges of engaging Gentiles, non-Jews or Samaritans known as half breeds and bitter enemies of the Jews. And we're going to talk more about that in a little while. They started off by engaging their Jewish brethren right in their own backyard. So what could go wrong? <laughs> uh, surely the Jews are unified, they're secure, and they're at peace. And besides, how could Jesus's message of repentance really upset anybody, especially during a time of occupation and oppression? The reality is the Jews of Jesus's day were anything but unified, secure, and at peace. And the last thing they wanted to hear was a message of repentance. They wanted prompt and complete release from Roman oppression through the long awaited Messiah. They wanted freedom. They wanted release. They wanted safety. They wanted justice. And they wanted their group, be it religious, political, philosophical, ethnic, geographic, or social, to end up on top and seen as justified in their thinking practices, position and belief. Last week we read that Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So our life group meets on Tuesdays and we discussed possible sources of a harassment and why the, they felt helpless. And our group came up with six sources of harassment. These included number one, foreign occupation. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Number two, the religious establishment. Number three, the political establishment. Number four, disease and illness. So much. That's why Jesus did so much healing. Number five, the society and the culture around them. And number six, and certainly not least spiritual oppression. It's understandable how each of these can lead to a feeling of helplessness with a heavy and concurrent dose of this whole list. 
helpless, helplessness would be inevitable and heavy. So these sources of harassment were nothing new in first century Palestine, just the most recent versions of what the Jews had experienced for most of their history. Some imposed, some self-inflicted, and all within the context of a sovereign God. And I didn't write this in here, but gosh, that list, it's timeless, right? We're facing those things today in our society. Not only were the people helpless and, and harassed and helpless, they were fearful, they were skeptical, and they were frustrated, and they were certainly divided and in factions. This is the audience the apostles would soon engage under their first assignment from Jesus. So as we read the Bible, context is extremely helpful. So unlike a young nation like the United States, Israel's history goes back thousands of years. Their patriarch Abraham walked the earth around 2000 BC. I'm plus or minusing here. 4,000 years ago. Moses, 1500 BC. King David, 1000 BC. Given their geographic location, Israel was constantly trampled on by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the Persians, by the Greeks, by the Romans. They were in that fertile crescent right there, and it was just the crossroads for everybody. A lot had happened to the Jews, and it all contributed to the culture the apostles would be engaging when they went out with their first marching orders. So today, we're going to take some time and highlight some of the prominent origins and manifestations of division in the Jewish society of Jesus's day. We're going to discuss three primary sources. We have a slide, Matt. Oh, you're so good. Thank you. Two engineers in a row, Fred. Lots of slides. And so uh, I found a wonderful resource and I liked the way they broke down uh, the sources of division in uh, Jewish society. And the first one is, some things that happened in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about the tribes and we're going to talk about the exiles. The second is foreign occupation and influence. And that happened for a long time. We're going to talk about the Greeks. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Romans today. And the Romans were the ones that were there when Jesus in Jesus' time. And then last but not least, we're going to talk about religious and cultural sects that developed uh, throughout time and were present in Jesus's day when these apostles were going to go out. Thank you, Matt. So let's just take the first one, the Old Testament division. So we're going to review these two legacy experiences from the Old Testament that created hostility and division between the Jews of Jesus's day. The first Old Testament division is related to the 12 tribes. The tribes of Israel were descendants from Jacob's 12 sons. You can read about this in Genesis 49. Okay. When Joshua completed conquest of the lands that ended up Israel, each tribe was given a specific region to settle in. Thank you. Personal identity was strongly tied to tribal identity. In Jesus's day, it was important to trace your lineage for things like your position, property, identity, relative to the promised Messiah, to identify with well-known priests or rabbis, or to simply establish your family roots. 
The Apostle Paul knew hereditary lineage was important to a Jewish audience. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 11.22, Paul mocks those that are caught in worldly boasting. And here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? Yeah, so am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. He knew who he was talking to. And in Philippians 3, 5 through 6, Philippians 3, 5 through 6, Paul is combating confidence in the flesh of his, his uh, audience and also false teaching. And he says, look, if somebody thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So he was referring to all this legacy Jewish identity that he carried along with him. So lineage, your tribe was very, very important to uh, the Jews of that day. And we're going to see how some of that plays out. The second Old Testament impact that caused division and disunity among the Jews were the exiles. So this, the, uh, a little bit of a review is helpful here. So if we go back about 3,000 years, David was the king of Israel. Jerusalem was the center of the kingdom and the ark resided there. The ark was the box that held the Ten Commandments. This was arguably an apex or pinnacle for Israel. There was one nation, there was one temple, there was one God, and there was largely one people. But after David died, his son Solomon took over. Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem, but unfortunately Solomon's renowned wisdom did not always result in good decisions. So following Solomon's death, his son Rehoboam took over and Rehoboam really goofed up. He had an opportunity to smooth over the strained relationship between the 10 tribes that were in the north and the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Rehoboam consulted some elders who gave him good advice. They said, mend that relationship. Instead, Rehoboam listened to, quote, young men who he had grown up with. <laughs> what could go wrong with that? And got some terrible advice to come down hard on that northern kingdom. Rehoboam's poor leadership split the nation in two. Thank you, Matt. A northern kingdom called Israel, or ten, which made up the 10 tr northern tribes, and a southern kingdom called Judah, made up of the remaining two tribes. This division would distract and drain both kingdoms, leading to war, painful subjugation, and ultimately exile. This division occurred around 930 BC. And you can read about it if you read 1 Kings, you read 2 Kings, as well as some snippets and different prophets. So now we got these two kingdoms and then the Northern kingdom was frequently attacked by the Assyrians as stated in second Kings 17, 13, second Kings 17, 13. It says all this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord, their God. It goes on to say how the people of the Northern kingdom of Israel worshiped other gods. They followed practices of other nations. They built altars and high places. They worshiped idols. 
They practiced divination and sorcery, and they even practiced child sacrifice in that northern kingdom. The Assyrians were a regional powerhouse, and Israel experienced multiple attacks and roundups exporting their people to other lands. Um, this was the Assyrian way. They would bring in their colonists to take the place of those that they had exported. By 722 BC, the Assyrians finished off the Northern kingdom. The Northern kingdom of Israel ceased to exist along with it's the identity of the 10 tribes that were up there. And if you've ever heard of the, the lost tribes of Israel, it relates to that. Well, not to be left out, the southern kingdom of Judah experienced a similar fate. Judah's conflict wasn't with Assyria, it was with Babylon. Because of this conflict, Judah also experienced exiling. There was exiling in 605 BC. Daniel was part of that exile. There was exiling in 597 BC. Ezekiel was part of that exile. But in 586 BC, the Babylonians had had enough. King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Israel and the temple. He took the treasure from the temple and exiled most of the people to faraway Babylon. Like a four month journey, hundreds and hundreds of miles. As 2 Kings 24, 2414 2 says, only the poorest people of the land were left after that Babylonian exile. These episodes of exiling scattered Jews around the world. And that scattering is known as the diaspora in Greek. This means scattering. Well, so you might be wondering what does this have to do an exile in 722 BC and exile in 586 BC. What the heck does that have to do with Jews in Jesus's day? Well, in the 70 year Babylonian captivity, Jews were tempted to eat non-kosher foods, and break ceremonial laws. Some of those Jews that were exiled over there defected from their faith and adopted a pagan lifestyle. This caused the exiled Jews then to break into factions. The Hebrew language was dying off as was care for the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible given by Moses. Animal sacrifices stopped and it was no longer clear what God required of his people. Eventually the Persians conquered the, the Persians came and conquered the Babylonians and the Jewish exiles were given the option to return to their homeland. They were allowed to rebuild the temple. It's a second temple. This project was led by Zerubbabel. And you can read about that in the book, old Testament book of Ezra. In Jesus's day, this is the same temple. Excuse me. This same temple had been upgraded and expanded by King Herod. And this was the temple that Jesus and his apostles and his disciples encountered during their time on the earth. The returned exiles were also allowed to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. This was led by Nehemiah. And you can read about that in the old Testament book with his same name. Those that returned had varying degrees of adherence to Jewish law to Jewish custom and culture. However, there were now several generations that had been born and reared in Babylon. There was a serious lack of unity when people returned. As a result of the pagan influences during the exile, the Jews tended to migrate into two extremes from each other. The first extreme 
was some Jewish mysticism. People had learned how to dabble in astrology and, uh, and the occult. And this slowly impacted Jewish teachings. They became fascinated with demons and angels. And, and these mystics compiled these beliefs into religious writings. Later, these beliefs made it more difficult for some Jews to believe that Jesus was God. So that was one. The opposite extreme is where other people migrated to, and that's orthodoxy. So to fight off the threat of this mysticism and compromise of the Torah, the Orthodox Jewish leaders created three things. They created synagogues, they created rabbis, and they created something called remnant theology. Okay. So synagogues, rabbis, and remnant theology. So rabbis were exceptionally well-versed in the Torah. Each synagogue chose its rabbis by different criteria. And under the influence of the Greek culture, the Jews began to gather teaching of various rabbis into collections. The occupying Persians then used the Jewish scribes to enforce civil law. This created alliances between Jewish leaders and occupying forces. And this actually continued into the, the Roman era of Jesus's day, right? We're going to continue to read about this strange uh, connection between the religious leaders and the, the occupying Romans. And finally, the third mainline Jews combated religious drift by creating what's called remnant theology. Remnant theology declared that God would preserve a faithful remnant of his people that would seed a new Israel. <clears throat> this created the notion that not all Jews were the, the chosen of God, only those that obeyed the law of Moses. No surprise that this went bad, right? When people start isolating and identifying multiple groups considered themselves to be the faithful remnant and secret cults respond with mysterious rituals designed to set them apart. When the Persian King Cyrus gave the Jews the choice to return from Babylon to their homeland, those adhering to the new, this new remnant theology considered those that stayed in Babylon to be less faithful than they were. So as we talk about just two examples from the old Testament, the tribal identity, and then the impacts of being exiled by Assyria and by Babylon and the pagan influences, these all, even though they happened hundreds of years ago, carried forward and influenced the Jewish culture that the apostles were going to go out into. So let's go to our second major category, foreign occupation and influence. So foreign occupation was nothing new to the Jews. Assyrian and Babylonian occupation had significantly influenced their culture and the impact of the eventual destruction and exile of the Northern and Southern kingdoms cannot be overstated. Following the exile to Babylon return of some exiles and rebuilding of the temple and the wall in Jerusalem, there were two foreign occupations that would significantly impact the people of Jesus's day. So let's start with the Greek occupation and their heavy handed influence, which is called Hellenism. Alexander the great took over Palestine from the Persians in 332 BC. They required the Jews to adopt their language and to adopt their customs. As a result, Jewish scholars began reading Greek philosophy Philosophers like Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, and the like. 
Jewish scholars began embracing the logical method of those philosophers. And they tried to use this method to untangle the complex traditions that had been created by the rabbis. Following Alexander's death, there was bedlam across the empire. Excuse me. Alexander's generals divided up the conquered lands and Israel suffered under a series of generals and subsequent kings. Now, I don't know if you remember when Matt preached on Daniel several years ago, I think it was back in 2020, probably we heard about a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, the fourth. He was truly an evil person. He was the one that was ruling under rule of Antiochus Epiphanes. The office of the Jewish priest was sold to the highest bidder. A gymnasium was built for nude athletic events right next door. Property was confiscated. People were killed. The temple was ransacked, ransacked. A pagan altar was set up in the temple and a pig was sacrificed on it. Mosaic rituals were outlawed and observance resulted in punishment. It was a dark and painful time for the Jews under Antiochus Epiphanes. So the result of that was rebellion. Some of you may have heard of the Maccabean rebellion. This bloody rebellion ultimately drove out the foreign occupiers. And then it led to an inevitable struggle for power and authority within the Jewish nation. So the Greek occupation introduced a new language. It introduced a philosophy and it introduced cancerous influence and oppression. This, this went on for several hundred years until the Romans took over. So in 63 BC, thank you, Matt, Pompey the Great conquered Israel for the Roman Empire. They were the last of the long line of invasions, conquests, and occupations that started with the Assyrians, and they have the Babylonians, the Persians, and the Greeks. Now we have the Romans in Jesus' day. So from 63 BC until Jesus' day, there was substantial and dramatic shifts in control and power. The Romans instituted puppet kings, culminating in the line of Herod surrounding Jesus's time. The line of Herod influenced the life of Jesus's family, both before and after his birth. They ordered the massacre of all male children under two years old in the area of Bethlehem. They killed John the Baptist they killed the apostle James. They were despised and feared by the Jewish people. And for their part in harassment, the Romans taxed the Jews often with help of exploitative Jewish tax collectors. The apostle Matthew was one. The Romans oversaw all capital punishment, including facilitating Jesus's crucifixion, through the warped tag team of the Roman rulers and the Jewish religious establishment. So if the high priest delivered on orders and taxes, the Romans left them alone and the Romans were willing to do the dirty work of the religious establishment and Jewish commoners were caught in the middle of this mess. The Jewish people despised their Roman occupiers and they were virtually powerless to do anything about the corruption and the injustice and the oppression that they lived under every day. 
Furthermore, the unholy alliance of Rome and the Jewish religious establishment resulted in much Jew on Jew division in Jesus's day. Talk about harassed and helpless. So that was our second category, you know, foreign oppression. The third category of division in the, the Jewish culture of Jesus' day were the Jewish sects, S-E-C-T-S, sects in Jesus' day. So we're going to discuss five examples. This is not exhaustive, but I think it, it's uh, illustrative. So the Pharisees, the first one is the Pharisees. The Pharisees were master interpreters, interpreters for the oral tradition of the rabbis. They were from the middle class and influenced the peasant masses. The Jewish historian Josephus estimates there were about 6,000 Pharisees during Jesus's time. And they were likely threatened by Jesus's ability to attract large crowds. The second category is the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees, they rejected those oral traditions of the rabbis. They only accepted the written law of Moses. They saw Persian and Assyrian influences in the teaching of the Pharisees and felt they were traitors. They did not believe in angels and demons and resurrection. And hence they disagreed with Jesus on spiritual things. The third category is the Essenes. They were the righteous radicals of that day. The word Essene means pious or holy, and they saw themselves of guardians of mysterious truths that would govern the life of Israel when the Messiah comes. Essenes lived in remote desert areas and practiced elaborate rites to purify themselves. Have you heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? They think that's probably Essenes. Okay. Now the fourth category are the zealots. The zealots resented any foreign control of their government. The zealots formed a radical group known as the Sakari, which means dagger people. The Sakari would circulate in crowds during the festivals and kill Roman sympathizers with daggers concealed in their clothing. During the four-year war with Rome before the second temple was destroyed, right? So the first temple was destroyed in 586. The second temple was destroyed in AD 70. And for the four years before that was destroyed, the, the Sicarii escaped to a fortress called Masada. You can look that up. It's pretty spectacular. And rather than be captured or killed by the Romans, nearly a thousand people in the fortress committed suicide. Earlier we talked about, and this is the fifth, earlier we talked about the final conquest of an exile of the northern kingdom of Israel by the Assyrians. The Jews who remained in that area between Jerusalem and Galilee, uh, they mixed with the Assyrian settlers and they became known as the Samaritans. They worshiped God on their own mountain, at their own temple, with their own sacrifices. The Jews considered the Samaritans half-breeds and were bitter enemies. Jesus flipped this Jew to Samaritan antagonism and hatred upside down. For example, he, talks, he talked with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in John 4, 7 through 42. In Luke 9, 51 through 56, Jesus rebukes James and John for wanting to call down fire 
on the Samaritans. And Jesus also told his parable of the good Samaritan in Luke 10 chapter 10. When Jesus healed 10 lepers, a Samaritan man was the only one to thank him. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus sends his disciples to preach the gospel in Samaria. So he's flipping stuff upside down. Okay. So we talked about Old Testament influences. We talked about occupational influences. And we talked about the sects that people were divided into. So we've reviewed a lot of Jewish and regional history and dynamics. Well, so what? Well, I think there's two takeaways from this, and hopefully this will tee us up for next week when we pick back up. Number one, first, Jesus was preparing the 12 apostles for their first major assignment. Jesus and the apostles were well aware of the anxiety and the anger, the factions, the expectations and the challenges associated with their outreach. Their assignment wasn't just difficult. It was dangerous and possibly deadly. It is good for us to keep this in mind as we follow them following Jesus. And it's good to reflect on who we each engage, how we engage those people. What influences this engagement on both sides? What do they bring into that relationship? What do you bring into it? Second, Jesus and his gospel had no place for division, identity, grudges, or hierarchy. In fact, the only hierarchy he would speak of was upside down. So consider what Jesus says in Matthew 1930. He says, but many that are first will be last and the last will be first. He's flipping it upside down. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 36, Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. You know, the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And in Galatians 3, 27 through 28, Paul states, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you all know you are all one in Jesus Christ. And there's also no engineer and no artist. I added that. So identity does not come from our DNA, our location, our role, our affiliations, our history, our problems, our shortcomings, our identity is of as followers of Christ is Christ. And it's only Christ. Nothing else. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity to um, understand what you and the apostles were stepping into to spread the gospel. And that Lord, there's nothing new about the hostility of Jesus's day. The gospel has always been received with hostility and it will be today. And I would pray Lord that you would encourage us to um, see that as an honor to um, spread your word and your gospel, regardless of how it's received. Thank you, Lord, for our church. We pray Lord that pastor Matt would heal up in your name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you everybody. I hope you have a great week.